You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where we dig into dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. This is our first longer form episode back, so we're quite excited to be back. Today we'll be getting a recap from our extension agronomist on how harvest went. Greg Condon will be giving us an overview of the southern region and Paul McIntosh will share what's happening in the north. And my co-host Pete Newman will give an update on the western region and Pete's got some clients in South Australia and too, so he'll give a bit of feedback on how things went uh, for some parts of South Australia. But Pete, Happy New Year. How was your break? Uh, break was good, Jess. Just had a short break, uh, which was really good. And um, no, all good. Yeah, great to be back and starting in another year. Yeah, for sure. I was pretty fortunate and I got to go to Tasmania for my break, so that was pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Quick highlight, Jess. Oh, I absolutely loved uh, the uh, the Lost World at Mount Wellington. That was a really interesting hike, lots of boulders and climbing, and it was, yeah, you felt like you really achieved something at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I saw a platypus, which was on my bucket list, so that was very cool. Oh, far out. You went up on me and the platypus count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw two, Pete. <laughs> oh, well, you're two up then. <laughs> I know. Well, you'll see one, Pete, eventually. But, yeah, no, it was a great break. But, yeah, excited to get back into it. And, Pete, we've got a really good harvest recap. Obviously, there's been a yeah, mixed bag across the country. And you'll hear from Paul first on the northern region. And some areas have had pretty good yields and pretty good um, situations over there. But then others have not done as good. So, yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag for the northern region. But Paul gives a really good synopsis on it. And he also talks a bit about uh, some of the stray drift issues that have been cropping up and, and how we can try and spin that around and, and uh, yeah, make sure that we try and maximise the spray that we're putting out there so that it, it gets to the target weed, Pete. What did you think about what's happening in the north? Yeah, well, it's a big area, isn't it? And it's a diverse area from sort of northern New South Wales all through Queensland. So there's never going to be easy to sort of paint a brush over the whole lot no. and say it was all good or it was all bad. Yes. So, yeah, there's a bit of variation amongst it, but um, I think on um, on balance, it sounds like, you know, it's more positive than, than negative, if you know what I mean, and That's they're it. doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump in and get a recap from Paul McIntosh. In this chat, we're catching up with our Northern Extension agronomist, Paul McIntosh. Paul, we chatted recently because we were promoting Weed Smart Week Dolby, which, uh, as people are listening right now, is happening. We'll be out in the field uh, in Dolby and surrounds checking out farms. So if you're listening to this, wishing that you were at the event, it is unfortunately a bit too late. We had our forum day yesterday and obviously farm visits today. But what we always do is we do record those presentations from the forum day. And so in the next couple of weeks they will be available for you to view on the WeedSmart website but Paul how are you going? Oh, excellent Jess, uh, good, could do with a drop of rain on the Macintosh lawn here at uh, Highfields just north of Toowoomba but, but you know that's that's the thing isn't it, where you want rain <clears throat> unfortunately you don't always get it because we've got harvesting going on and planting going on and people wanting rain to, to plant some more crop, summer crop up here so it's, everything's good Jess is just typical and normal of the northern region uh, summer situation. 
Definitely. And Paul, in this chat, we're going to be catching up about how harvest went last year. And obviously, there's the harvest that's going on at the moment in the northern region. Uh, and we did touch a little bit on some of these topics in our chat from the regional update the uh, a couple of weeks ago. But today, we're going to go into a bit more detail. And we might also chat about uh, a bit of spray drift and provide some solutions and tips for growers in your region too. But let's kick off with how harvest last year went. Can you walk us through how it all progressed? Certainly can, Jess, and there were some really great stories last year in the harvest, and of course there were some sad ones too. And the sad ones are something like uh, some of our pulse crops, like our chickpeas in our northern regions of uh, New South Wales. They, they lost a lot of chickpeas down there. Fava beans, not so much, Jess, and of course they lost some wheat and some barley too. But, you know, generally generally it was a pretty good harvest uh, as far as yields go. Quality was pretty ordinary on a lot of situations, particularly northern New South Wales, but certainly the, the yields were, were, you know, outstanding in a lot of situations. The quality was poor, prices were good, so it was probably about a, an average income for some people uh, in a lot of those areas of northern New South Wales. Southern Queensland, not so bad, Jeff, with their, just with their wheat and their barley. Um, there was a few wild storms went through and, you know, um, a friend of Wheat Smart, Bill Barkle, out there at Condamine, he lost a, a fair few uh, chickpeas and uh, and wheat and a few sheds too with a, with a nasty storm in November. So those sorts of things happen all around the countryside but generally speaking the yields were good quality was not so good in a lot of situations the falling numbers let a lot of people down and because when you go up to central queensland they've had a really dry time for three years up there boy did they kick some goals just like oh, there's some unconfirmed report of wheat dry land wheat going eight tonne to the hectare with pretty good quality wow you know, and there's a lot of six tonne to the hectare stuff up there, and no doubt there's probably some few disaster stories too. But generally speaking, Central Queensland, they had a well of a while of a time, and, and thank goodness they did because they really deserved having reasonably good quality grain and damn good yields up there in that uh, Central Highlands. So well done to them. That's very exciting for the Central Highlands. And sorry to hear about Bill Barkle's shed and the like. That's not good. But, yeah, a bit of a mixed bag there. But overall, quite positive, it sounds like, Paul. And obviously, you're coming into – you've got harvest at the moment too. Uh, what's happening at the moment and how are people faring? Yeah, well, there's everything happening. Jess, that's the typical summer thing up here. We're on the we're on the edge of the end of the summer planting time uh, for uh, for some crops like mung beans and, and millets and all that stuff and even a bit of grain sorghum with vertigo west here in southern Queensland. Central Queensland, uh, they're harvesting like crazy some of the early crops. We've had this early early uh, planting situation of our summer crops like grain sorghum and, and even corn in both areas, southern and northern, even in northern New South Wales, has been a push to plant them earlier so we get away from the heat at flowering. And of course, there's some of those crops that are being harvested. And I was just talking to Tony Lockery a little while ago, and Lockers is based at Moree, of course, and a good weed smart uh, follower. And uh, he's saying that uh, spraying out a lot of the grain sorghum this week for harvesting next week. So it's... Uh, as Bill Laurie used to say, it's all happening, and uh, it is. So it's been pretty good. But I guess we need some more rain, basically, even though the harvest that, uh, for the sorghum and, the, and uh, those sorts of crops is wanting to happen. We do need some rain for those other summer crops and for a few more planting opportunities for other people. And like I said, Central Queensland, they'll go right through the end of February with their planting. Yeah, fingers crossed for some more rain, Paul. And the other topic that we said that we were going to chat about today was tr spray drift and, and off-target herbicides. 
Uh, and, you know, in the vein of keeping it, you know, a bit more uh, solutions-based, I just I, we were having this conversation as a team uh, last week, Paul, around, you know, the benefits of ensuring you get your spraying right. And one of those big benefits is from a profit standpoint. And if your herbicide is drifting off your farm, it's not going on your plants, and you're actually wasting money, aren't you? Absolutely correct, Jess, and that's the big thing, you know, that people sometimes fail to recognise if drift's occurring, there is a waste factor. There's a percentage of herbicide going uh, off target, which means that you're paying uh, $20 a hectare and you're losing a dollar or two a hectare going somewhere else. So that, that waste factor needs to be, uh, you know, reined in. So that's the first positive that you need to think about with uh, selecting the right pressure, selecting the right boom height, selecting the right nozzles and, and the spray quality. It's all part of the parcel about reducing that spray drift and of course as I said the other day Jess it's not just spray drift of, of, a, of a product a particular herbicide product injuring it, uh, another another crop that's locally or another sensitive crop it's also about MRLs and that's getting us more and more uh, airplay from the National Residue Survey about you know these, these chemicals that are unregistered in some of these crops getting picked up by some of these sensitivity meters that we've got for MRLs. So there's a lot to, to, to think about, um, but positive ways, reduce that waste. Look at your efficacy on your own weeds, on your own property. And, and of course, you know, if, if you get a partial kill on your own weeds, that genetic disposition to adopt a bit more herbicide resistance. It changes inside the plant to, to be more herbicide resistant next time we come along. So it really is a, a positive thing to control that drift and keep all that spray that you're producing, that spray quality onto your plants, your weeds for a whole host of reasons. But the, one of the big ones is saving money, reducing the incidence of herbicide resistance, getting a more effective kill on your weeds and reducing that weed seeds that's being, uh, being produced by those cursed weeds that we've got up here, Jess. Yeah, and Paul, would you say that it might be just a bit of it's a bit of a mindset shift that's maybe required because you know we were also having this conversation and comparing harvest speed compared to you know the speed people go with their boom sprays when they're spraying and you know harvest you know you people are really thinking about ensuring about they don't have harvest losses and so they're not going too fast to ensure that they're capturing that grain but when it comes to using a boom spray sometimes people are really pushed to go faster and you know maybe then have some of those off-target issues what what would you say to try and encourage a bit of a mindset shift uh, around that Paul? Yeah that's a hard one isn't it because you know the, the farms have got bigger the farming enterprises have got bigger and they're still using the same boom spray and we all know how difficult labour is to get to drive that boom spray and how how untechnical some of these people are in the driver's cab of some of these boom sprays too Jason. I was having a talk to a friend of mine this morning and he, he we, we know that we've got robotics going around in, the, in a lot of this country over here with a robotic uh, uh, spray machine and just drives up and down the paddock by itself which is really good and that helps and that would be a big thing for a lot of people to be able to invest in that sort of factor to to have this have the uh, the settings on that machine to just plain stop when things are crook and of course that way you, you don't need to worry about the settings and you don't need to worry about all the other things that go on in the environment also you don't need to worry about having an inexperienced person as mary o'brien says that the most untrained person on the farm on a boom spray going up and down. So, you know, there's a whole whole raft of things that we can look at with that sort of stuff. Unfortunately, some of it costs money, but some of it uh, is just sheer lack of labour in the countryside and the, and the size of the properties we've got. 
And of course, we we all know that you know years ago when glyphosate was four or five dollars a litre, you could zip round the paddock compared to the forty years ago when you had to go round and round on a on a cultivator, you're twelve hours on and twelve hours off. You know these days the uh, the way we've got the way we've got our uh, farming situations out there that there's small number of people doing a large number of acres. Yep, that's it. But yeah, it does sound like, uh, you know, it's worth crunching the numbers and doing a bit of an assessment and seeing whether it might be worth investing in some of that new spray technology or reworking how you might uh, look at how you do your spraying on farm because there is big savings to be made, especially with increased prices of inputs like herbicides. And it's worth having a look at, isn't it, Paul? And yeah, see what savings you can make into the long term. And, you know, then there's also those benefits, obviously, of, yeah, reducing the likelihood of herbicide resistance on your farm and obviously off-target spraying as well. So any other comments, Paul, around this chat? We've had a good overview of harvest and and spray drift. Anything else you wanted to add that farmers in your region need to be thinking about at the moment? Just probably the only thing about it is, is drift, Jess. When you're out there on a boom spray and you're spraying away, you don't know where those little droplets go. You can't see them, those ones that are going to drift most likely. And and you know, it, it's, a, it's a mental thing too. You just wonder what you're doing. So to take that mental stress off, I think if you had really good spray quality, you had really good spraying conditions and you operated in those in the, under those conditions, it, it'd be a lot better off for your own thought because if someone gets hit with some chemical drift, you know, four or five miles away, there's no way that you could exclude yourself if, if, there's, if there's some drift going on. So, you know, there's, there's a whole heap of issues like you just said and like we've been talking about the positivity of getting your spray quality right and your spraying right. But there's also that mental stuff that you don't have to worry about what you might be doing downstream and uh, and getting, uh, getting uh, people very upset about spray quality and spray drift downstream. Certainly, Paul. Well, thank you so much for giving us an overview. And uh, yeah, we'll be probably having a bit of fun in the field uh, as this podcast is going out. So we look forward to uh, keeping you up to date uh, for listeners to hear all about how Dolby Weed Smart Week went in a few weeks' time. But thank you so much, Paul. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jess. Thank you so much to our Northern Extension agronomist, Paul McIntosh. Pete, uh, Paul did uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, ensuring that you maximise your herbicides when you're doing your spray program. What are your thoughts on the tips that he shared? Yeah, well, he, he did make that comment, Jess, and I think you reiterated that, that uh, if you have spray drift, sure, the main reason to minimise spray drift is that minimising that off-target drift, but there's also the fact that the drift is waste. We actually want those droplets to hit the target, hit the ground or hit the plant. And if I'm right, I seem to remember Bill Gordon saying that with fine nozzles, you can leave as much as 40% of the droplets in the air. I think I've got that right, Jess, but even if it's not quite right, I know that it is a pretty big percentage, so it is really critical to get it right, and we're going to focus a lot on that this year with Weedsmart. Yeah, it's a significant uh, loss of of herbicide and then, yeah, obviously that's a big dent in your profits potentially if you've got lots of those inversion events when you're spraying. So it's something to definitely think about. But Pete, we um, also heard from Paul about how they're harvesting and seeding at the same time. Um, Obviously, as we're recording, we're we're in Dolby at the moment, a couple of us, Greg, Paul and myself and uh, Joe and Jess from the Weed Smart team are doing Weed Smart Week Dolby and uh, we're just in the middle of, we'll be in the middle of all of that action but it's an interesting farming system in the north isn't it 
Oh, totally. So many different crops. And I mean, when I travelled around up there with Paul a few years ago, we went and visited a few people and more than one person said, we're a bit different up here. (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, they are. Like They've got all these different crops and seeding and harvesting at the same time. I mean, um, our southern growers uh, couldn't imagine that, I don't think. Um, But yeah, it's pretty common for those guys. So uh, yeah, Um, yeah, really interesting farming system. And Paul's got a very good grip on it, of course. Of course, he does. Very knowledgeable. Now, up next, we'll be heading to the southern region and hearing from our extension agronomist, Greg Condon, who's based in Juni in New South Wales. And yeah, obviously, lots of flood events in Greg's region last year. Uh, but it sounds like quite a few people had pretty good outcomes overall. And they're, they're getting really innovative with how they're dealing with some of the issues of bog marks and the like that Greg will discuss in this chat. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what the situation is in the southern region, Pete. Yeah, I think whoever wrote the droughts and flooding rains poem was writing it in New South Wales. Yes, that is really the story there, isn't it? They, mm. you know, they've had really dry years and now a very, very wet year after a couple of good seasons. And um, yeah, quite remarkable to hear that some of them, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that just lost lots of crop, but quite remarkable to hear just how much they did manage to salvage. Yeah, talking to a grower from southern New South Wales during harvest, and he was calling me about about some harvest setup stuff and then he went on to tell me he's one of those growers that's harvesting with the head of front above the water and below the wow. sort of, you know, the canola crop that he's that's harvesting and, and I said, that's crazy, how, did, how on earth did that happen? He said, we don't know, it, we don't. We never thought it would happen, we just saw someone harvesting on Twitter so we pulled the header out and somehow we're managing to harvest <laughs> oh my gosh. get this crop off, yeah, so they're oh, incredibly resilient and um, yeah, remarkable and good to hear that yeah, people did probably put a little bit more grain in the bin than they probably thought they were going to. Definitely. All right. Well, let's take a listen and hear from Greg Condon. In this chat, we're catching up with our Southern Extension agronomist, Greg Condon, and we're going to hear about how harvest went in his part of the world. Greg, how are you? Good. Thanks, Jess. Back into it for another year. Yes, definitely. And we are recording this, as mentioned already, uh, before we travel over to Dolby. So you've been really busy this week because obviously you're away next week helping out with uh, Weed Smart Week Dolby. So you've, you've had lots going on, I hear. Look, yeah, it, it, February seems to be the month where everyone looks to put an event on. So there's GDC updates, of course. Uh, there's some conferences going on. Uh, the Dolby Weed Smart event, which is pretty exciting to take the uh, the event to Queensland again on the on the back of uh, other events in southern and western areas. So, and then you've got the standard sort of crop planning and fallow management that goes on in this time of year anyway. But that's that's a part of it. It's all it's all positive. And it's also a good time to reflect, which is what we're going to do a bit of in this chat as well. So how did harvest go for growers in your region, Greg? Can you walk us through it? It's quite topical, Jess. So currently we're going through crop rotation planning with clients, but also harvest review. So we go through uh, paddock by paddock and enterprise uh, sort of analysis of how different crop types went. And generally uh, it, was a, it was a reasonable result. So we had a very wet year, as everyone's quite familiar with, in, in Victoria and, and lots of New South Wales. So it, uh, yeah, soil type-wise um, had a, quite a big influence depending on the uh, impact of the of the water logging and that sort of flows through to harvest results as well. So it's, uh, yeah, had a, an impact on particularly uh, the earlier sown crops with high levels of disease compounded with, with water logging and then others that might have been sown a bit later 
the crops, uh, yeah, particularly wheat or, or some of the pulses got through okay. So it was, it's highly variable relative to the, uh, the the waterlogging events, and that sort of flows through to harvest. It was very stop start, and uh, probably didn't get as bogged as much as what people were thinking, but it still was a drawn out affair. So you had cereals, for example, Jess, were ripe to harvest. The grain was ripe, but the straw was really difficult to thresh because it never really had that heat. Like WA in South Australia had that great heat at that uh, maturity to sort of bring the crop in. So the crops were quite hard to harvest and that sort of added more cost to uh, a slow process anyway. But, uh, yeah, most people are finished. Uh, so there was quite a bit of bogging went on. So that was uh, really well managed. People did it safely. The industries responded to that to get uh, get uh, you know harvesters out of bogs or trucks out of bogs safely. So that that was quite positive uh, outcome from uh, from a pretty challenging scenario. But overall, uh, the, with the variability in results, uh, it was probably I guess cash flow perspective was sort of neutral to positive for most for most growers in our region. Okay, well, that's overall, that's pretty good to hear, particularly considering the conditions that lots of growers were experiencing over that period. And, uh, you know, with those, uh, with that additional moisture, one of the things we were talking about last year was that potential for an increased weed burden over the summer period. How have growers been dealing with that and how has that panned out? It's been challenging, Jess. So uh, a lot of post-emergent broadleaf control in cereals, for example, didn't happen. So we've got things like fleabane and south isle and prickly lettuce. Uh, there was no crop competition, so they had a free reign once the crops matured and then died uh, in, in sort of November. The uh, the weeds just had a free reign, so normally there's really good crop competition that sort of suppresses those weeds. So they, uh, yeah, basically as the harvesters went through, you had a green carpet underneath a lot of paddocks. So we were, um, yeah, most growers have been pretty diligent uh, despite the fatigue and the weariness from wind rowing and then harvest. They jumped on boom spray straight away, got across all the country, but we've been left with some uh, pretty challenging large weeds. So obviously weed smart, we promote spraying small weeds early, uh, but that just wasn't wasn't practical. So we've had to double knock a lot of uh, those broadleaf weeds, particularly fleabane, sour thistle and uh, prickly lettuce. And then we see cudweed is emerging as a bit of a challenging weed as well in these late season rainfall events. So... And largely the double knock, the adoption of double knock for, for these uh, situations has been really good with growers. It's quite amazing. We, you know, we generally promote it at, uh, at seeding time, but it's uh, been taken up and some, uh, I guess, slight modifications on the double knock theory. So using a group G, group 14 spike with the paraquats worked really well. So, uh, yeah, there's been some big weeds and we still haven't got them as, as good as we would have liked had they been a bit smaller. But overall, we've been really impressed. And then those growers that have lives, stock in the mix is sort of throw sheep in them in the fallow as well as a third sort of uh, clean up on some of those weeds so we've got the standard fallow and then the double knock and then a few sheep that's that's worked really well but um there's still a few challenging populations lingering but growers have been pretty diligent on, on the practice Oh, that's great to hear. And Greg, we were chatting off mic about growers also clearing up bog marks and using that as an opportunity to do some innovative things like incorporating lime and that kind of thing. Can you walk us through what growers are doing in that space? I guess we plan where we're going to ameliorate, so apply lime or gypsum and the like uh, in advance, and that lime sort of arriving on farm now has been there previous. But we're seeing uh, there's an opportunity where we need to go in and clean up bog marks from headers, but even from the spreader during the winter and the boom spray from uh, last season. So some of the paddocks are a bit of a mess, so cultivation is pretty important. 
So, uh, yeah, growers, innovative as always, Jess, they said, well, why don't we try and kill three birds with the one stone? <laughs> so we want to clean up the bog marks, uh, apply apply the lime and, and ameliorate it with uh, mixing the, the uh, with the cultivation. And then thirdly, we've got lingering populations of things like windmill grass, which we all know uh, basically cannot be killed with, with herbicides um, once they get too big and, and fleabane as a double knock. So they're, they're then using the cultivation strategically to clean up those weeds as well. So pretty clever. So it's involving some, uh, I guess, uh, quite aggressive tillage in, in the sense with the things like uh, offset discs or, or um, it's got to be effective tillage. They're done slow to, to level. It can't be sort of fast, shallow tillage, which some people in the industry do do a lot of, but all it does is generate a lot of dust, but doesn't move a lot of soil. So we're seeing uh, a number of different implements being used that are doing all those things that were those three things we talked about that's awesome greg and uh we also know as you mentioned that there's lots of planning going on at the moment including what crops are going to be planted and what rotations growers might be selecting and uh you know as we always talk about in weed smart it's always good to consider all your different options including things like you know what sort of seeds you're going to choose to plant and we know that there's lots of options in terms of seed traits and herbicide tolerant traits that can help diversify what you're planting can you walk us through you know some of the things that growers might need to consider and and might be helpful in making their cropping system really robust this year well, finalising the plans at the moment, so we sat down with, with growers in, in the springtime uh, and, and look at the, the, the rotation going forward where we're looking to put certain crop types in certain paddocks and uh, we're refining that at the moment as, uh, as sort of the, the harvest uh, wrap-up occurs and looking at where different seed traits have a place, so like the clearfield tolerance uh, in, in things like barley and, and, and um, pulse crops, for example. But canola is probably the biggest one, Jess. So you've got a crop that is uh, becoming a pillar crop nationwide, so not just in the southern or the western region. It's sort of sneaking further and further north uh, as we see a full profile of moisture creating an opportunity to grow canola. And it's it has a lot of flexibility. So you, you can grow a canola that has, has triazine tolerance or a clearfield tolerance and and then all the GM, you know, Roundup Ready, TrueFlex type, and and then all the stack traits on top of that. So, you know, Clearfield, um, Triazine. But it's, it's just juggling that with the weed pressure within the paddock and then the plant-back issues that might sort of carry forward into next year relative to your soil type. So there's quite a bit of complexity. And, uh, yeah, I guess as an advisor, we sit down at the moment and go through that. And then you also layer on top of that with GM crops in the east. We still do suffer quite a bit of a price discount compared to you in the west. So... Um, juggling, say if you're targeting a, a high-pressure weed, a ryegrass burden in canola where you're wanting to use some of the stack traits, uh, so like a, a TR or, or yeah, we sort of try them, Roundup Ready or the like, or even just a, a straight TrueFlex Roundup Ready, how that will impact the weed control options and then secondly the marketing at, at the back end once you've got the crop off. So a lot of the, the, the stack trait genes uh, do carry sort of a, a yield uh, a yield premium, so there's all the elite genetics are in canola generally are in those, those better better varieties, but um, you sort of got to juggle what, what sort of seed traits you want to use and then what sort of herbicide traits or, or weed, uh, crop protection program will, will sort of fit around it. So we've got more choices than ever. It's quite unbelievable when you sort of sit down map it all out within a crop rotation. Uh, you, know, where you might be growing wheat, barley, canola and a pulse, how, how, how it actually looks with some of those herbicide traits and then throw in your standard pre-em programs and your post-ems and yeah there's a lot of diversity that we, we just haven't uh, more we're sort of seeing more and more of it all the time 
Yeah, it's very exciting. And Greg, is there anything else that you wanted to mention uh, that growers need to be thinking about at the moment? Yeah, I guess on top of that rotation planning, Jess, is for sort of moving into thinking about what preems they're using and then growers are putting those orders forward like they are ordering fertiliser and the like. So knowing uh, what uh, what weed burden. So in the east, again, here locally, we've suffered some pretty heavy weed seed blowouts, particularly with ryegrass, uh, poor crop competition, wet areas in paddocks. So we're facing some pretty high pressure ryegrass burdens going into this year, uh, looking at what sort of crop choice, number one, people have to deal with that. And secondly, what sort of herbicide program and just getting people to think a little bit, uh, I suppose, weed smart big six in that space. So can we use crop competition a bit more effectively? Um, what, what is our long-term plan on some of these paddocks? Do they really, you know, can they handle a, a, a wheat or a barley crop? Or do we need to be quite uh, be quite different with um, a pulse or a hay crop or the like? So some of that, uh, I guess, rotation tuning is going on probably a little bit more this year than what we would see in a normal season. Yeah, no, that makes sense, Greg. Uh, that's a really great overview, though. And uh, I just wanted to quickly mention it is a while away, but obviously we're at Weed Smart Week Dolby uh, today as this podcast comes out. But in a few months' time, it'll come around very quickly. We'll have Weed Smart Week Dubbo, and that's happening from August 1st to 3rd. And we're super excited about that, Greg. Uh, that's in your region, obviously. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what you're, um, you're thinking about for this event? Looking forward to bringing Weed Smart to Central West New South Wales. So we're bombarding the northern region this this year. So 2023, obviously Dalby uh, as we speak, and then uh, Dubbo in the, in the winter. And I think it's really be well supported. So Central West New South Wales, some great growers and, and advisors in that part of the world and industry work uh, going on through people like Goa and, and New South Wales DPI and, and private groups. So we want to bring all that together in this event at Dubbo and showcase some of the, uh, especially some of the great growers in that part of the world there's a few quiet achievers that probably don't um we don't hear their stories as much as we do some of the, the rock stars further south or, or up in the north so it's it's uh, yeah great uh, great chance for people um yeah particularly in central new south wales to come together and, and see what is going on and, and learn about some of the challenges they're facing so they're not without their, their difficulties with resistance uh their crop choice and their rotations and how how they're dealing with it uh, on farm at a practical level and then some of the research that's sort of going into sort support their their practices so yeah looking forward to getting to Dubbo and some of the crop tools or farm tools further west uh, we're, we're planning as we speak Jess so you're yeah, getting out to potentially Trangy or Warren or, or a bit further north so we'll uh, yeah we'll keep everyone updated as uh, yeah, the planning rolls on. Definitely and it's an exciting year because Weed Smart does turn 10 this year we're officially a decade old and it will also be our 10th event in Dubbo too so we'll be celebrating as well so really looking forward to it but Greg thank you so much for giving that overview today we really appreciate it. Thanks Jess. Thank you so much to our Southern Extension agronomist, Greg Condon there. Pete, as I was doing this chat with Greg, I was thinking about you and your love of soil amelioration as he talked about how they're incorporating lime. Some of the growers there, you know, when they're dealing with these bog marks and doing some cultivation, they've got really innovative and they're thinking about how they can maximise that cultivating that they're doing. And I thought, oh, this will really excite Pete. And has it excited you? (laughs) Oh, I have to admit, yes, I am a bit of a lover of one of tillage events and uh, <laughs> for all the right reasons of course and if I've got it right I think it was Helen Burns who did the work through New South Wales and found that uh, the where they're applying lime to correct acidity a lot of it is really trapped in that top 50 mils and uh, they might stick a pogo stick through the top 10 centimetres and 
and think that the pH has changed, but often it's changed in the top 50 mils and the next 50 mils it hasn't. So, um, yeah, getting some tillage in to incorporate some of that lime is going to be a good idea. And as Greg said, you know, they'll just take this opportunity, given that they've probably got to do some tillage anyway to, to tidy up some bog marks. It could be a really good way of just incorporating that lime. So, yeah, what do you say, killing three birds with one stone? Yes, that's it. And I like how that really just sings to that song of, you know, being innovative in times of hardship is, you know, really a possibility a lot of the time. And, you know, farmers are so good at that already, but it's just a really good reminder that, you know, you can have some pretty ordinary circumstances happen, but sometimes there's an opportunity to make the most of what would be a difficult situation and and get some wins out of it. So I like that theme as well. But, Pete, we're going to hear from you now um, about the Western region and you know we some some people might already know that what the Western region has done very well in terms of the uh, numbers that have gone into the bin for um, grain this year but let's get an overview what's happening in the West and how did harvest go? Yeah, well, Greg Conran's going to hate listening to this because he's sick of me talking about how good things are going at WA. But, gee, it's been been incredible, Jess. I mean, 2021 was our record season with, I think, around 24 million tonnes delivered in Western Australia. Mm. And 2022, I think we're set to beat that. And the estimates are 26 million. We're still, uh, we still have a handful of people harvesting, but there's also some grain in bags. And so... We're still waiting to see what the final tally is, but I think it's going to be another record for WA, which is yeah, just amazing to get two records two years in a row, Jess. Yeah, that's amazing. And can you talk to what you think led to that? You know, obviously already having the numbers from 2021 was really impressive. What enabled people, do you think, to push beyond that and what conditions sort of were around that enabled those great growing conditions so that, uh, yeah, we can exceed that target we got in 2021? Well, in simple terms, it's rainfall, Jess, and that early rainfall, but it's very interesting. I mean, my other role outside of Weed Smart is I do some farm business consulting with Plan Farm. And this time last year, we were nervous as. We were all, pretty much every budget, we budgeted on a loss mm. because we had these record high costs and, uh, and we can only really budget on average grain prices. So we thought the grain price would be better, but we, we couldn't budget on it. So we've gone into the year with most people thinking, if I break even on all my costs this year, I'll be re- relatively happy. And then, you know, we got early rains, so people went for it. You know, people were talking about, oh, if it's not raining, I'm going to wind back my crop area because of this negative budget. But early rains, they went for the went for it. Um, we had a lot of canola go in because canola was over a 1000 bucks a tonne uh, at seeding time. And, uh, and so lots of, lots of canola, lots of crop in general, just very good early rains. And then, uh, and then though, Jess, for particularly where I am in the northern part of WA, the season got very dry in, uh, in July, sort of mm. June, July. was pretty dry. So that's sort of worst case scenario. You've got these big costs mm. and then you might, you've got to spend all your money. And then if it dries up halfway through the season, so people were nervous. Uh, but then we had a record August essentially and very mild, cool finish. And so... It all just came together, I guess. Yeah, really quite remarkable. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, really happy for everyone in the West uh, with those results. It's it's great to hear those positive stories. Uh, and you've got some clients in South Australia as well. Obviously, we've got Chris Davy, our extension agronomist uh, in South Australia, as, lo- as well as Yana Dixon, who's based in South Australia representing the high rainfall zone. But, uh, yeah, we don't have them on the podcast today. We'll hear from them in a few weeks' time, I'm sure. But can you give us a bit of a, an overview of what happened in South Australia over harvest? 
Yeah, well, the clients I work with are on Air Peninsula, Jeff, and they've had their record as well. So I believe that Air Peninsula, I think I've got it right that it's 4 million tonnes they're expecting. Um, and, yeah, extremely good yields. Once again, just a, a pretty good break. Oh, well, you will remember, though, that um, they had that big February rain, I think it was. Remember, Jess, that the uh, train line was cut between uh, yes. WA and the east for a while? Well, that was that big flood event. And so parts of Air Peninsula got a really big drink. So just starting that season with a, a profile of moisture and then getting a good season with a beautiful mild finish just made that a bin buster in that part of the world. I think areas of the mid-north and York Peninsula didn't get that big summer rain and they had a pretty late start from memory uh, but once it started um, their crops went well and then a very nice mild finish as well very cool um, and, and good finishing rains and so I believe that many growers in that part of the world have had I'm not sure if they're calling it their record but um, that very very successful year as well Jess. Well that's good to hear and what should growers be thinking about at, at the moment in your part of the world in, in WA? Oh it's just we are pretty well exactly where we were this time last year, Jess. Once again, we're budgeting on losses because we have these high costs uh, and we are, you know, budgeting on a loss again. So we know that if we get a good season like last year, we can do it again. We can have, um, you know, we can have a very profitable year again. But we also know that, um, yeah, it's not going to take much of a bad season to, mm. to generate a loss. And, and, of course, at this time of year, we... We can't really, well, you can lock in some grain prices, but we don't really know what the grain price is going to be at the end of the year. So it's a risk on for farmers. Um, it's really just approaching it uh, with that attitude. Our farmers, you know, the farmers are obviously expert at adapting to the season, Jess, and, and they'll, they'll do that again. Fortunately, we're starting to see some cheaper fertiliser prices. I've heard some lower urea costs out there and I'm not sure about the compounds hopefully we see some cheaper compounds and we've you know this time last year glyphosate was I think about 13 bucks a litre I understand it's around about eight bucks now so we are starting and and fuels come down a little bit so we are starting to see some costs coming down they're still very elevated but fortunately it's starting to move in the right direction yeah that's good well fingers crossed uh, well, that was a really awesome recap for Harvest uh, across the regions. Thank you to Paul McIntosh and Greg Condon and obviously yourself, Pete Newman. We uh, we have some exciting things coming up, including, so we're in Weed Smart Week Dolby as we speak, as you might be listening to this if you're listening to it as it comes out. But we do have an exciting event, as I mentioned a bit earlier in my chat with Greg, in Weed Smart Week Dubbo. And we uh, want to encourage you to apply for those GRDC study tour grants so I'll put the link to that in the show notes because that's a really good way to get a group together and come along it is going to be one of our biggest events if not our biggest event ever uh, in Dubbo so definitely consider doing that are you looking forward to Weed Smart Week Dubbo Pete? Always uh, yeah I'm I'm a bit of an optimist Jess (laughs) Weed Smart Week has just gotten better every year I've just spent a bit of time in South Australia this week and I was talking to a few people that were at Weed Smart Week and They'd had a great time as well, and they were saying they were going to do a road trip and and come to Dubbo, so hopefully there's a few road trippers around, and yeah, we have another successful event. I'm sure we will, Jess. Definitely. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to our uh, webinar last year on crop competition with Dr. Michael Witterick 
and Northern Extension agronomist Paul McIntosh. The recording is available on the website. I'll provide the link to that one. It's a really good one to check out. We've got a new article. Cindy Benjamin, our content producer, has pulled together an article on strengthening your pulse phase to combat weeds. And so this is an Ask an Expert with Dr Jason Brand, who's based in Horsham, working for Agriculture Victoria Research. And Jason says for pulses to be effective in a weed management program, they need as much attention as other major crops. And without that attention to detail, the pulse phase can result in a weed blowout. So to avoid that, go and have a read of that article. That'll be in the show notes too. And if you couldn't get to Weed Smart Week Dolby, that's happening at the moment. In a few weeks' time, we will be editing and uploading those forum day presentations for you to view. But in the meantime, you can check out our Weed Smart Week Mildura videos. I'll put that one in the show notes too. But B, how do people stay in touch with us? They can sign up for the Weed Smart Whip Around, Jess, and uh, get all of our content summarised in a, in a monthly email. And we also love to see everyone on Twitter and Facebook. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of posts from Weed Smart Week and Dolby Death. So, yeah, looking forward to, uh, to seeing some of the posts from that event. Yeah, it's a good way. If you can't get there on the ground, it's a good way to kind of get a sense of what it's all about. So definitely follow along on Twitter. Thank you, Pete, and thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you found the Weed Smart podcast helpful in any way in getting information on weed control solutions, please let your friends know. And even better than that, we'd love for you to tell the world in an Apple podcast review. Subscribing to the podcast is the easiest way to listen to our latest episodes. So search Weed Smart podcast and hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. And yeah, we look forward to giving you an update on how Weed Smart Week Dolby went in the next podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Pete. Thanks, Jess.